Hi, this is Elliot Fishman. Let's get back to the acute abdomen. We were speaking about closed loop obstruction and we're mentioning the importance of uh, the visualization detection. We talked about the U of coffee bean configuration, kind of suggesting where the twist is. We also spoke about how we can look at bowel. And in this case, you can see small bowel is dilated. It's really sitting by the lesser sac and it's not enhancing like it should. Again, a good injection does wonders. Now, you could potentially suggest the findings, not just the, the fact the bowel is in the lesser sac, but the fact the bowel is not as dense on a non-contrast CT, but you can imagine how much more difficult it would be. Now, I mentioned about looking at things interactively. So when you look at this case, you can see we're now scrolling axially through the case, and we watch, and you can see the uh, bowel loops dilated and their position. But then look at the same image in the coronal plane. You really get a better feel of the stretching of the mesenteric vessels. You really have a feel of the engorgement of the mesenteric vessels. You get a very nice feel of the location. And of course, as we go from the coronal view, we go to the sagittal view. And then you could see it also very nicely interactively looking at the patient's bowel obstruction. So again, it becomes very important to really recognize what, you know, the, our ability to be able to visualize uh, these type of processes, and it's very interactive. I think one of the things we've spent a lot of time looking at is the ability to use interactivity as a way of looking at the bowel obstruction and many things. So it's just so much easier to do that than it is just on a routine basis. So again, a very, very easy way of looking at this patient's bowel obstruction. Now, in looking at um, those images, you can see, for example, from this case, very nicely the uh, visualization of the patient's dilated bowel. And again, we do make the point that it's very important to look at the mesentery as well. That's a really, really important point, and it's a very, very important process. So again, we want to do that very carefully. Now, as we go beyond looking at the small bowel with 2D imaging, with the multiplanar and 3D. I think it's important to also recognize the ability of 3D imaging. I think 3D, particularly on the vascular part, becomes very important. You can see that very nicely in that same case, the dilated bowel, the real stretching and edema in the mesenteric vessels. And again, the combination of 3D and 2D really work very nicely to allow us to do things incredibly well. So I think that becomes very, very important. And again, it's a matter of adjusting your workflow to be able to take advantage of that. And here's just one more set of views showing you a combination of the 2D and 3D imaging. So that works very nicely. Now, we mentioned about looking at transits of uh, bowel obstruction. Here's a patient with dilated small bowel. And of course, the question is, why is there dilated small bowel? And then you follow the bowel loops downward. And you can see the patient has a right inguinal hernia. The small bowel is within the hernia. You look carefully. You also see some fluid in the hernia. Whenever I see fluid in the hernia, to me, I'm concerned the hernia is obstructed and the patient is developing ischemia. And this is not a patient you could watch or just try to reduce at the bedside. This is somebody who's going to go to surgery in most cases and have this repaired. Now, these external hernias are the second most frequent cause of small bowel obstruction. In the early 1900s, they were number one, but they could occur anywhere in the abdomen and pelvis. 
The hallmark of small bowel obstruction due to hernia is the presence of dilated bowel up to the hernia sac, followed by decompressed bowel exiting from the hernia sac. Very classic appearance. Now, of course, when we talk about bowel obstruction, uh, there are many causes. We mentioned that small bowel obstruction, the third most common cause is tumors. It could be a case like this where the patient has a carcinoma of the tail of the pancreas, and this tumor's presentation was obstruction of the bowel near the ligament of trites, and a very nice example of pancreatic cancer invading the small bowel, causing obstruction to be present at that point. So again, a very, very important diagnosis and a very classic appearance in that regard. Now, when we talk about dedicated small bowel studies in the ER setting or the acute abdomen setting, Crohn's disease always is something we think about. Active Crohn's, you see mucosal hyperenhancement, you see wall thickening, you see mural stratification in the various bowel layers. You can see the prominent vasorecta or comb sign, which typically means the patient has active disease and needs to be treated aggressively. And of course, with most bowel pathologies, we also look carefully at the mesentery. So here's a nice example of a patient with Crohn's disease, abdominal pain. You see the very prominent vasorecta to the patient's right colon and distal small bowel, classic for active disease. And here it is again showing you the MIP imaging. Again, MIP is very good at looking at vessels. You also can see in this case why water is such a great contrast agent. The ability to see the mucosal enhancement, the abnormal bowel enhancement, and the vasorecta work very well. Or in this example, in a patient with a history of Crohn's and increasing abdominal pain, you can see the multiple strictures in bowel. You can see the enterolith present, and you can catch it on the axial imaging, but surely on the coronal views, the mucosal enhancement in the area of stricture is better seen. The transition points are better seen. Again, Crohn's disease, uh, the key is how to manage the patient. When does the patient need surgery? When you begin to get strictures like this, you see also the inflammation in the mesentery. This patient has had prior bowel resection. Uh, it's a very much challenging situation. You hate to have to operate on these patients, and only when there's significant uh, findings that you can tell the patient's not going to respond to medical therapy, the surgery become the answer. Now, in Crohn's disease, we also see complications. Here's an abscess involving the iliopsoas muscle, nicely shown axially or in the coronal view, the very classic enhancement of the periphery of the abscess. Or in this case, Crohn's markedly dilated bowel. You know there's an obstruction, you follow it downward, and you see in the very distal bowel, you see the area of stricturing. Now this case I showed to make a point. One is, when you read this case, you know there's a stricture present, lots of dilated bowel. This patient's a surgical candidate. Now, when I look at that bowel loop, there's really nothing special to it to me beyond the thickening and consistent with Crohn's. And to the surgeon, it looked just like Crohn's disease with some uh, inflammatory process and stricture, but at the uh, path a week later, it came back positive for adenocarcinoma. There were some sites of adenocarcinoma. Now, there's an increased incidence of adenocarcinoma in patients with Crohn's disease, but it is somewhat of a challenge for us. At times, you're just not going to be really good at detecting a tumor. It's just something that, uh, you know, when we see nodes, when we see a mass, I'll suggest the possibility 
but even the surgeon palpating can't make the diagnosis, so it will be a challenge for us. Uh, CT enterography has been shown to be cost-effective in uh, patients with Crohn's disease. Again, uh, we try to manage patients with a combination, particularly on follow-up, of CT and MR. Uh, there's no doubt that CT has the highest accuracy. This article from the ECCO makes that point. And their sensitivity and specificity, particularly with multiplanar reconstruction, is indeed very high and works very nicely in the clinical setting. So that becomes indeed a very important thing. And when you look at correlations with ilioscopy, sensitivity and specificity, 92 and 100% specifically. Okay, let's look at some other processes and let's look at some processes that involve the small bowel but affect the vessels. And one of these is gonna be SMA syndrome. SMA syndrome is something that I do find very interesting because it's one of the things that is often undetected, unsuspected, and can be the cause of the patient's symptoms, but it does make the point to us about the importance of looking at vessels and the importance of always looking at the sagittal view. When you describe SMA syndrome, you talk about a decreased angle, typically under 10 degrees. You talk about a decreased distance from the uh, SMA to the aorta. But typically, the presentations are like this. Patient has abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. You're looking for pancreatitis or potentially an ulcer. You see the stomach's distended, you see the duodenum's distended, and you realize the transition point is at the SMA. When you look at the coronal view, you see the SMA obstructing the duodenum, very nicely shown in this example. And then when you look at the images on the sagittal view, you recognize the distance from the SMA to the aorta is markedly decreased and the angle is increased. Now, we've seen this in this case, for example, with anorexia nervosa. You think about anorexia nervosa, it's a difficult diagnosis to think about women. This was, in fact, a man. Or another example, dilated stomach, dilated small bowel, you follow the dilatation, and the transition point is at the SMA. And again, you look carefully at the sagittal view, and there is the narrowed angle. So in the acute abdomen, I in this case, I use to remind people to always look at the vessels. I know you think about the vessels when you look for mesenteric ischemia, but when you're looking at bowel obstruction, look at the vessels. It's very important, and I think routinely you always need to look at the sagittal view. If not, you're going to miss significant pathology. Another example, dilated duodenum. And you'll look carefully, transition by the SMA, which shows very nicely on the sagittal view, the decreased angle, the decreased distance. Again, good example. And here it is again, another example. Dilated duodenum right to the SMA. I'll put a box there. Very good at making the diagnosis. Now, when we speak about vasculature, we also speak about the process of GI bleeding. And CT has been shown to be the study of choice for GI bleeding evaluation, whether it's small bowel or large bowel. When we talk about GI bleeding, we talk about upper versus lower GI bleeding. Upper GI bleeding, which is the dominant number of cases, 70%, approximal to the ligament of trites. Lower GI bleeding distal to the ligament of trites. When you look at causes, we go from angiodysplasia, which is number one, to vascular dysplasias, to tumors, to meckles. There's been a series of articles. If you look at the past decade, you can see how far CT has come. The original articles talked about CT for massive GI bleeding by Yoon. 
And in those cases, 100% accuracy, but it was massive bleeding. On this article from Hopkins and Stanford, we talk about 64 slice, how good CT is in that scenario for GI bleeding. You then go to 2011, and Steiner writes an article from the angiographer's perspective that CT is the study of choice, and if CT is positive, you can do angiography for treatment. If CT is negative, there's no reason to do angiography. That CTA becomes a valuable tool for the interventional radiologist. And the fact he mentions is that CTA demonstrates bleeding down to 0.3 mLs per minute versus DSA, which is 0.5. So CT is the study of choice. Now I will say that at times it's easy to miss these processes. You look quickly at this case of GI bleeding, and maybe you don't recognize those dense foci in the duodenum, but they're there. And then when you look at the coronal view, they're easier to see, and there are multiple as an angiodysplasia. But again, it could be somewhat subtle. But look what happens in MIP. Look how obvious, and look how many of these vascular sites you see. So I think it becomes very important to recognize the presence of this vascularity. I think it's a really good way of being able to see sites of bleeding. If you don't do MIP imaging, you'll miss angiodysplasia and you'll miss other causes of GI bleeding. And you can see, just compare the MIP to the coronal view, look how much better the MIP indeed is. Another example, a small focus of bleeding, there it is within small bowel, circled, very easy to see on the MIP imaging. Or in this example, GI bleeding, no known cause, there's a GIST tumor, you vaguely can see it, I'll circle it for you, Exophytic, we talk about just tumors being large, but in the small bowel, they're often small, and when they're small, they're vascular, and there's a source of GI bleeding, very nicely seen. And here's another example of a similar case. Again, I might have thought of carcinoid tumor. You can think about metastatic renal if you want to do a conference case, but this was a GIST tumor, very nicely shown on the MIP imaging, and not an uncommon cause of GI bleeding. They're very easy to pick up. They're also very easy to miss. When we speak about GI bleeding, we talk about other causes. Here's a bleed of the right lower quadrant, terminal ileum. You look at the two phases, and you can see the act of bleeding in was an ileal diverticulum. Again, MIP imaging was very, very helpful in this case. Another example, abdominal pain, GI bleeding, younger patient dilated bowel, you see artifact, well that's a camera which was unsuccessful in fact, but when you look carefully at the right lower quadrant, there's a tubular structure, which you can see I've circled, and when you look at it in coronal view, you see it's a blind end, it's increased density, that's a classic appearance for Meckel's diverticulum. So Tommy Kawamoto wrote a recent article on Meckel's diverticulum, Beautiful example, easy to miss, but it is a cause of GI bleeding, particularly in younger patients. And here it is with the MIP imaging, and here it is with the bleeding study. Just a very nice example. A couple facts. We talk about GI bleeding usually impedes patient, but can be in older patients as well. Can present with obstruction, even intussusception. It can be difficult to distinguish from other inflammatory processes in the right lower quadrant. The multiplanar can indeed be very, very helpful. Meckel's is the most common congenital anomaly of the GI tract, up to 2% of the population. 
close relationship to the ileocecal valve, 60 cm within ileocecal valve, and commonly 6 cm in length. Those that contain the ectopic gastric mucosa are the ones who get the clinical symptoms, and that's why the nuclear studies, the technesium pertechnicate studies do work well. And again, um, it is the study of choice, perhaps you're thinking about Meckel's is not always positive, but it needs to really be something you think about. And you can see there are also false positive and false negative studies. So just a very nice example. Now, as long as I'm speaking about GI bleeding, let me make a couple points in terms of protocol. Key thing with GI bleeding in our experience is dual phase imaging. Bleeds will change in appearance between arterial and venous phase, which helps you make the diagnosis. Also, sometimes the bleed is best or only seen arterial or best or only seen venous. So in this case, very subtle left colon, is that a bleed? Well, when you go to the venous phase, look at the change. Look at the active bleed that's present, very nicely shown in this example. And you can see, again, just two different coronal views, early or arterial versus venous phase. Look how much nicer you can see the bleed. So I think it's a very important example. Another case, GI bleeding in the descending colon within a diverticulum. Again, the coronal view, and now I'm showing you the coronal and the MIP. And again, you can very nicely see the active bleed. And then if you go 60 seconds post-injection, you can see how that bleed increases. Now, some people will say do non-contrast to make sure you're not being confused by high-density material in the bowel. And that's not unreasonable, but we try to minimize phases. So our rule is instead of doing non-contrast on arterial, I do arterial and venous. That gives me all of the advantages. Every single bleed I've seen, and I'm showing you some examples, are always going to change between arterial and venous in terms of extent and in terms of position. If it was foreign matter and bowel, obviously, it would not change between the two phases done only 30 seconds apart. Now, there's been lots of articles on GI bleeding. This article by Marty talks about the evaluation in the ER setting of GI bleeding, that CT is the study of choice. Their numbers were 98% accuracy, and they felt that it should be the study and the first study. Don't do colonoscopy, do CT right away. And we've had similar experience that um, CT is the ideal study providing a wealth of information. And again, often you're not certain where the bleed is, why there's a bleed present, and CT can answer all of the questions whether the bleed is small bowel or indeed large bowel. It's also important to recognize when we look at the, for GI bleeding, often pathology in the lower rectum can be the cause. Beautiful example of thickening and prominent enhancement around the rectum and you say, yes, there are prominent vessels present, but only when you do the 3D do you really appreciate it. Look how we go through the vessels here. Look at the prominent enhancement of the rectum and perirectal region. And now I'm showing it to you with uh, volume rendering, and I'm showing it to you with MIP. Look at the blush. And then when I take the bone away, look how nicely you see it. It looks just like an angiogram, very prominent bleeding due to varices in the rectum and perirectal region. This was the cause of the patient's GI bleeding. CT has done so well lately that even in this article by Nakashu, which was in internal medicine, 
that CT is useful for determining the optimal timing of colonoscopy. That if you're not having a positive CT, the chance of finding a bleed on colonoscopy is much lower, 68% versus 20%. So again, it's something you want to look at very carefully. Now, let me look at a couple other comments in terms of bowel. Let me just mention ischemia. Whenever I speak about GI bleeding or SMA syndrome, when I'm talking to you about vessels, I always bring up ischemia, whether it's arterial disease or venous disease, both can cause uh, all sorts of issues. We talk about the findings. Well, the most common finding will be dilatation, which is the most nonspecific. Once you see mesenteric gas or portal venous gas, you're very specific, but the mortality and morbidity is so high. So it's really a combination of looking and diagnosing things earlier, but again, recognizing that sometimes the findings are going to be very, very nonspecific. Again, the sagittal view for looking at the vessel, we look for plaque, which you can see nicely here, but the vessel is patent, but calcified plaque and non-calcified plaque both celiac and SMA shown very nicely. We look for vessel patency. Here's an obvious case of occlusion of the patient's SMA seen on the axials and seen on the sagittal views proximally. Uh, you can see the full extent of this on the MIP imaging and you can see why this patient could develop ischemia and bowel infarction. Sometimes it's less obvious in this case, I've cut through the right plane, but if you don't have the right plane, it can be difficult. I think it's easier in cases like this where the, where the narrowing or the occlusion is more proximal to see the finding. I think the further down you are in the vessel, the more likely someone will miss things. In this example, whether it's on the sagittal or in the volume rendering or the MIP, you see the narrowing of the lumen of the SMA and you know this patient has obstruction. The CT makes it easiest to see that it's thrombus present, so it's a large clot present. I also do like to make the point that even when vessels are patent, however, when they're really small, like in this case, you just know this patient has low flow to the bowel. So what I will dictate is markedly narrowed vessels, this is worrisome for ischemia or a low flow state. This patient will need to be treated aggressively before they do, in fact, infarct their bowel. Now, I mentioned that sometimes you will miss, or potentially you can miss clot if it's not proximal. This is a great case, rule out ischemia. I will admit the bowel does not enhance like it should. It almost looks like a non-contrast study, and there is some pneumatosis present. But look at the sagittal view. There's no plaque in this patient's uh, SMA. And it looks great for the first two or three cm, but then you see the occlusion of the vessel. This was initially missed looking at the axials. The patient went to surgery, the clot was removed, and here's the patient literally a week later. And the patient did not have any bowel resected. So again, early diagnosis, or this case, beautiful proximal SMA, but then there's occlusion. The bowel is thickened, the patient goes to surgery for ischemic bowel. Fortunately for this patient, once they remove the clot, the bowel became pink, they watched it for half an hour, there was no signs of ischemia, so this patient was very lucky. Again, the sagittal view made the diagnosis very simple. Now, an issue is, in this case, you can see, again, the SMA looks good proximally, but it's only very distal in the vessel where there's a clot present, and in fact, the vessel is occluded. 
Again, very easy to miss because the vessel looks so good proximally that your eyes are not drawn to the clot, they're drawn to the opacified vessel. The bowel at this point looked okay. This patient went to surgery. If this is missed, you're probably going to infarct the patient's bowel. So a very, very critical finding. Last thing I'll just comment on, aortoenteric fistulas are rare. Um, it's usually due to a patient who's had prior surgery or has a known aneurysm of the aorta. The most common sites of the patient's fistulous tracts are at the level of the duodenum. That's the most common place to see them. Typical presentation, or at least a classic presentation, abdominal pain, massive GI bleeding, and a pulsatile mass. On the CT, you will see ectopic gas within the aortic lumen or adjacent to the aorta. You may see direct communication between aorta and bowel, though this is less common because when you do see it, the patient is actively extravasated in this patient. At that point, may be close to arrest. Uh, and again, this effacement of the space between the bowel and the aorta are all some of the common things you'll see. And so, for example, here's a very nice case. Patient had endovascular stent repair, now enlarging native aortic aneurysm. You see air layering, layering at the top. You see that's the communication with the duodenum. This is aortoenteric fistula. Or this next case where you see air within the uh, native aorta, there's air tracking, and you can see the communication and the connection between the bowel coming over the vessel. Sometimes I'll see bowel touch the vessel, but I don't see air or communication. Those cases are worrisome, but you may see just the bowel adherence or that it's adjacent to, but once you see the air, or in this case, the extensive air within the native vessel, uh, there's not much difficulty in making the patient's diagnosis. So let's go back to the first slide. I've showed you several examples and several topics about why CT is so good in looking at the acute abdomen. Again, it's important for us, as this article by Trail makes the point, that knowing there's high costs involved with imaging, though probably it's a lot cheaper than the wrong diagnosis or delaying diagnosis, we need to look at the facts. And when you look at the facts, CT is the way to go in the acute abdomen. Those articles being published now are very important. So when you're speaking to referral physicians or speaking to hospital administration, make it clear how much money you're saving them. So CT, study of choice for the acute abdomen, many topics, triaging the patients is critical, making the right diagnosis is critical. Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes you see pathology, you're not so which way to go. But I think most cases, you're going to be able to manage the patients correctly. And with that, I thank you very much for your attention.